Well, good morning. My name is Daniel Vada, and I am one of the pastors here. And it's a privilege to be here with you this morning at this Valentine's Day, right? It's a happy Valentine's for everyone. It's a special day when we celebrate love. And like we, uh, we sang, it's how, uh, how marvelous and how wonderful it's, it's God's love for each and every one of us. And today we also start the season of Lent. And it leads us to Easter Sunday where we see the deep, deep love of Jesus that goes to the cross for us. And what's interesting is always Jesus loves people that in many ways are the outcast, the unlovable, those who are shunned away. And maybe remember, he has lepers coming to him and saying, Jesus, Jesus, heal me. If you want, you can clean me. And then there is a woman who people called a sinner, and she comes to Jesus in one of his dinner, dinners, and everybody looks at her, why is she here? And Jesus says, let her do her job, because, because those who have been forgiven much love much. He's always welcoming the outcast, the sinners. So our sermon series is called The Gospel of the Nobodies. Jesus talks, calls, saves, searches for the nobodies. And we look through uh, the gospel of Luke, and we are going to take a few stories. And this morning, we are going to pick a story. And in this story, Jesus is going to talk about the sick. The sick that he is calling to repentance. And I invite you to just follow with me from the gospel of Luke chapter 5. Verse 27. After this, it says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and the large crowd of Tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. But sinners to repentance. What a powerful story, right? I have not come to call the righteous. If you want to summarize Jesus' mission in one sentence, is he came to call the sick. He came to call the sinners to repentance. And all of us, one way or another... If we claim to follow Jesus, we are sick and sinners who are repenting. And this morning, I want to look at one thing first. It's calling. Everybody, everybody, every follower of Jesus has been called. And in fact, if you look in the Bible, it's an important part. Being called 
being called, receiving that call from Christ is an important part of our coming to Christ. Look what Paul says. He says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called. You know, the first part of the verse is well known for us. We say, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. And that's what we know, we recite. But the second part is just as important. Who have been called according to his purpose. We all have been called. And then Paul says, you know what? There is an order in which we have been saved. And in that order there is a place for God's calling. And this is what, this is verse 28, right? Verse 30 says, says Paul, and those he predestined. That is us who believed in him. He also called. And those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. In this order of salvation, calling is an important part. You cannot skip it. If you are a Christian, a follower of Christ, you are called. And I am called. And everybody who calls himself a Christian and is a true Christian, right, it is called. So this morning we are going to look at the fact that Levi... Levi is one name for Matthew, which is the Greek. Levi is the Hebrew. Levi is called by Jesus. And that's how this section is called, the calling of Levi. And in the Gospel of Matthew, who is more for the Jews, Matthew uses his own name and says the calling of Matthew. Levi was somebody. Levi was somebody, Levi was somebody in the community because he was a powerful guy. He was an extortionist, basically, empowered, backed up by Rome. He was a Jew. But he thought, you know what? In this life, if I am to make a name for myself, if I am to have a good life, the best life that I can have is to serve the Romans. So the Jews will go to the Romans and say, do you need somebody to collect the tax here? He was in the Capernaum area, you know, very close to the uh, Sea of Galilee. And there was a big transaction road, I mean, big commercial road going from Syria to Egypt by there. And that's where he says, I, I think I can make you money. So he left kind of his c culture and Jewishness. And he said, I'm going to serve you Romans. And the Romans, that's how they build their empire. So he was basically extorting people. You know, when I grew up in communist Romania, that's how empires are built, you know. We as a country, Romania, and all of these countries, they are closer to the West. You see, that's the Iron Curtain. We were not part of the USSR, but we were still part of what they call the communist bloc. We were satellites, you know. We talk about churches that have satellites. Now, if you build an empire like Russia, they had satellites. We were satellite states. And most of our income, of course, was taxed by our own government. But a lot of it went to Russia. Because we were satellites. They would draw income from us. You know, our business was with them. If, if something was valuable 10, they would buy it for 5. Because we were under the Russian control. Now, maybe you remember last week, somebody, the Prime Minister of Russia said, we are, go, we are again, we slipped into the Cold War again. So that was the line, the, the red line in that time. I'm not sure if you are aware of that, but many times empires are built by extortion. So what's interesting with 
with Levi, he was extremely wealthy. He had so much money. Because after he gave taxes to the Romans, nobody could stop him to tax everybody who passed by. He was a manipulator. He was a guy who somebody else will say he was a nobody because he betrayed God. He wasn't welcome in the temple. He wasn't welcome in the synagogues. He was serving the devil in a way. For the Jews, he was totally outcast, totally a nobody, an unclean. You, you will not even invite him in your home. You will not step into his home. You will not like him to come with you to church because he was a bad guy. He betrayed God by mingling with the Gentiles. And not only that, he was corrupted and used to get bribed. He could tax anybody whatever he wanted. And they had no power, no recourse. He will look at people coming from afar and will say, okay, how much can I get from this guy? From this caravan, from this household? Okay, I think they can cover my roof and pool. Oh, they, look, at, look at my vacation. It's coming right now on the street. And he was sitting in the street and the tax collector booth. Nobody could pass. But by him, he was known by everybody. And yet, for somebody, for many people, he was not a somebody. He was a nobody. And in fact, the Pharisees said, yeah. They rejected God. They are betrayers of their people, of faith. They left everything. And Jesus comes to such a guy. And he comes in a time... He just healed the paralytic. Remember last time when we looked at the healing of the paralytic? Jesus heals the paralytic that comes through the roof. And then the next story is he goes on the street and walks by the tax booth of Levi. I'm sure that Levi heard the news, right? Because he was a street smart guy. You know, he knew exactly what's going on in the community. So Jesus passes by. Levi heard that there's a healer in town. And with the paralytic now is somebody who heals and forgives sins. He's doing even more. Maybe he is sort of a son of God. Maybe he is the Messiah. So this young rabbi comes to him and says, follow me. Follow me. Looks into his eyes and says, follow me. It was the most unexpected. Can you expect Matthew, you know, busy, busy at his, at his, at his booth, you know, collecting taxes, you know, having those those big books with records and, and lines and just sitting there and, and being busy with filling up his pockets, you know, and his, his golden coins, counting them, writing their things, you know. So he was busy. He was making. He was at the top of the, of the society in terms of money and wealth and, and connections in society. Everybody kind of depended on him one way or another because he could just put them in bankruptcy if he wanted. He wasn't just like the IRS. It was more like, just think of Russia imposing another tax on top of the IRS, you know. That, that was, that's how bad he was. And Jesus looks at him and he says, follow me. And it wasn't like saying, Matthew, you have to follow your religion. Go back to the temple. Matthew, where are you? Why don't you go to the temple? When were you the last time in the synagogue? Matthew, go back to the synagogue. It wasn't like, Matthew, you, you are not faithful to your wife. What did you do? You just abused somebody, you know? No, Matthew, Matthew is called, follow me. Jesus said, you know what? 
Forget about those things, Matthew. It's between you and me. Follow me. It's a person. It's Jesus in front of him. It's a rabbi. It's a personal call. And it's a powerful call. He doesn't have to go back and reconcile anything. Follow me. Come, follow me. And what is he doing? Amazing. Amazingly, Matthew looks at him and he says, the Bible says, Levi got up. He got up. What? You are calling me? Got up. All of those money, he says, he left. Everything. Everything. The boot, the tax, the money, everything. The business. He didn't even, you know, sell it. And he said he followed him. Now you might say, well, what a, what a conversion, right? What a belief, what a strong belief in God. It, does, it didn't happen. You might say, well, in my case, it didn't happen that way. And we don't want to generalize. Not everybody came to Christ this way. But that's how Matthew, Levi, came. And what is he doing after that? He shares with everybody. But you see, in case of Matthew, he wasn't looking for Jesus. He was busy at his work. He was busy at his work. And I like how some of this, like Keller, he makes the distinction. And I like it because in case of Matthew, he was not looking for Jesus. Jesus came to saw him, to, to call him. But remember, just the story that comes earlier is the story of the paralytic. The paralytic is looking for Jesus. His friends want to get to Jesus. That's why when he gets to Jesus through the roof, Jesus says, your sins, friend, are forgiven. You are again washed clean instantly. There's nothing that can keep you away from God because I can take care of it. But the paralytic was different from Matthew. In a way, the Bible says nobody is seeking God, right? And nobody is seeking God on its own. But there are many ways in which we approach and meet God. If you remember just earlier, Andrew and Peter, they are in the boat, fishermen. And Jesus says, oh, let, let's pull the boat into the, into the lake. And they, they go into the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus said, throw the nets. They throw the nets. They are getting a lot of fish. They are, they are catching a lot of fish. And then Peter nails down and says, Lord, depart from me because I am an unclean, sinful man. And Jesus says, come. That's what he says. Come, follow me. And I will make you fishers of men. And immediately, what's interesting is even in Luke, you know, it says in chapter four, 5, verse 11, in the same chapter. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Exactly like Matthew. Peter and Andrew do the same thing. It's not a tax collection thing, but it is a boat, a fishing business. And they leave everything. And maybe remember the rich man who comes to Jesus and says, Master, what shall I do? To inherit eternal life. I obeyed the law. I fulfilled from my childhood. I grew up in the church, in the synagogue, in the temple. I obeyed the rules. I give my tithe. I sacrifice. I fast. I serve the poor. But Jesus looks at him and says, you know what? There's one thing that you are missing. If you want to have eternal life, do one thing. Leave. Give everything you have to the poor. Give everything you have to the poor, and then come and follow me. Everything he had was his tax book. 
everything he had was his fishing business. Like Andrew and Peter, he could not leave everything and follow Jesus. And he left Jesus. He did not leave his riches. He hung on to his riches, to his business. He said no, and he left. And Jesus looked at him, although he loved him, with sadness. Because he said no to the invitation, come and follow me. And you may say, you know, I don't know where you are. I always grew up in the church. Many people say that. I always grew up in the church. I was raised in a religious family. We went to church. I... The truth is, I, I haven't been in, in the church lately. And I guess I ought to get serious about it. I ought to become a professing Christian. You know, we say, people, are you a professing Catholic? Are you a professing Christian? And there's no such thing. We are not professing things. We are following. We follow Jesus because we are called. So if you say, what does it mean that I am called? What does it mean that I am called? How do you know that you are being called? There is something that happens there. There is something that even if you grew up in the church, when you are called by God, there is something that your baptism, these signs, your profession of faith, your church attendance, your worshiping, your service, maybe at Streams of Hope, maybe at at Townline, your service, maybe you gather the Eve conference like for women, your service, your worship in the nursery, With Moms Connect, when you invite others to church in the golf training, when you say, come and play golf. Your love for your neighbor, for your family, for your spouse, everything is about becoming real. Your baptism is not just an external act. It goes deep down in your heart. And your heart is full of the love for Jesus. That's why Levi did. You will see later. Because he did something for Jesus. He did it for Jesus. He started to follow Jesus and then his life changed dramatically. It was like a shake-up, a total demolish, a total rubble of the old life and the new life came in for Matthew, for Levi. And you start to know that you are not in control. Levi was not anymore in control. He controlled his business until that point, his life. Well, when Jesus said, follow me, he left everything and followed Jesus. And nothing else was his call in his life. It was all about Jesus, the Savior. From a tax collector, he became a writer of the Gospels. He became a servant of Christ. Have you ever invited people to dinner or to a restaurant and you were eating with them and you had fun time and talking and, and suddenly the phone rings and they say, oh, I'm sorry, I have to leave. I'm on call. We are all on call. And when you are on call, you do not control your life because you follow somebody else's orders. And if there is a need, you jump. If there is an emergency, you jump. If there is a call, you jump. If there is somebody in that needs love, you go and you give love. You give care. 
If somebody needs encouragement, that's where you are. You are on call. And God rings your phone every day. Your relationship with Jesus becomes your number one priority. Everything else pales. You see, for Matthew, for Levi, and for so many others, when they heard the call, they said, that's a more, it's not like, a, oh, I found religion. No, they found Christ. Who is Christ? He is not just a guy, a friend, like any other friends. He is not just a rabbi, like any other teachers. He is the one who made us. If Christ is, and that's why the conference if is about, right? If God, if God is who he says that he is, then imagine what else will happen, right? If Christ is God who made us, and we are here because he sustains us, right? That's what we believe. The Reformed people always say, the providence of God sustains us. He is not only creator, but he is redeemer, and he is a father, he is a savior. He is every, everything that we have, it is because of him. And if that's true, if that's true, then it doesn't matter anything else in this world. It doesn't matter that there is a cold war. It doesn't matter there is an ISIS war. It doesn't matter what comes. Because this world is not ours to take care of. But we are in God's hands. And he says, I want you and me to have this love relationship. To have this personal, I want you to know that you follow me. That you are in the hands of your creator, your savior. And that you walk just as I tell you to do. It's a person that we follow. Christianity is not a religion that you say, well, I, I do. I'm a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. It's not about that. It's about seeing Christ, who he is. And if you miss that, if we miss that, that's the biggest problem that we can miss. There was a revival in 18th century United States. And George Whitefield was one of the biggest pa pa preachers in that time. And there was one guy called Nate Cole. He was a farmer in Connecticut. And he said, I want to hear. He had a burning, burning kind of hunger for God in his heart. And he said, I want to hear God talking to me. I feel that I have religion. And I'm a religious person. And I can control my life. But I want God to grab hold of me. I want him to control me. So then George Weifel was announced. He heard an announcement. He's going to preach in a town, middle town. And this is what he wrote. He says, I ran to, pa to my pasture for my horse with all my might. And with my wife, we hastened to Middletown as if we were fleeing for our lives. He was just going to hear a preacher because he was hungry for God. Because he said, I want God to tell me more. I have religion. I'm a religious person, but I just want more. I just want more. I want, I want that, that Christ to be in my heart, number one. So he said, when I went there, his preaching gave me a heart wound. By God's grace, my old foundation was broken up. And I saw that my righteousness will not save me. He said, my religion will not save me. My going to church will not save me. My trusting that if I serve, if I give, 
if I tithe, will not save me. And that's what Levi understands. Levi understands. And what is he doing for Jesus? This is the guy who saves me, he says. And they, what is he doing? He's giving a banquet. This is what it says. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus. It was for Jesus because this was his savior now. The one that he found. And he says, at his house, when you invite somebody in your house, you say something about that relationship. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others, in Matthew he says, and sinners, were eating with them. A large crowd, like I said, you know, a large crowd. Matthew was a popular guy. If you can give a banquet like that, and a large crowd comes, you are somebody in the community. People know you. You are one of the street marts guys. And they came. His friends came. He wanted to have his friends in. Because, because he wanted Jesus to be introduced to them. He wanted Jesus and his friends to meet. And he said, Jesus, I want for you to meet my friends. And that's why we, when we meet Jesus, right, we want our friends to know about it. When we meet Jesus, that's what we do. Well, when you eat with somebody, it's also the danger of contamination, you know. Because I think there's this principle, you become more like the people you eat with more or the most. Just think about it, you know, you stay here in church, but this is just an hour, right? You go home and you talk about the preacher or the sermon or whatever. Hopefully you talk about God. But that's when you are shaped. Because you said, you know, Johnny, well, you know, what, what do you think about that invitation? How do you interpret that response? So a lot of times when we eat is when we are lowering our barriers. You know, we invite people at Alpha to dinner. That's why we start. The Alpha is kind of a course for people that... We say, just come and have dinner. And what I like about the people that sign up for volunteering to be chefs, they say, I, I want, can I decorate the tables? I prepared the meal, but can I decorate? And I say, why? Say, because I want people to think that they come to my house. I want to treat these people just as if I were inviting them in my house. I want them to feel welcomed here, loved, embraced. And then Steve comes and plays the guitar just as he will do at his house, right? <laughs> But that's what we do. We want people to feel welcome. And they come. And they come. Just imagine. Imagine the Pharisees looking at this crowd, right? Tax collectors. The nobodies of the society. I mean, today will be like, I would say, if for some people, and I have to be careful here, but it will be like saying, I went to a rally with Sanders. What? Oh, it was Hillary. Oh, who was it? Trump. Right? How can you do that, we will say. You know, some of us will say, how can you do that? With those corrupted politicians, you don't go to those rallies. You see, religion is so easy. Religion, and, and not only religion, but the culture and everything. Religion divides people. And that's, that's true in two camps, you know. Sometimes you say, well, these are good people, and they are bad people, you know. And we say, well, the bad people... And the good people are in two camps, and usually we see ourselves in the good camp, right? We say we are doing just little sins, and the bad people do big sins. And the big sins of society change, you know. They change. Today maybe a big sin will be a crime or, or sexual abuse or harassment. 
But little sins, we can do little sins. We say, you know, I, I can gossip a little bit, you know. Um, well, it doesn't mean if I, if I just lie. And those are just dirty jokes and, and dirty talk, you know, but that's, that's okay. Double meaning. I mean, everything is like excusable because they are little sins. They're not big sins. You see, the culture changes in our perception of who, who are the, the people that are good and who are the bad. Or what are the big sins and what are the little sins? The little sins. And uh, I read this story about McCarthy. Maybe you remember in the 50s, he was a U.S. senator from Wisconsin. And he kind of hunted what we call the communists, right? And uh, one of the things that people knew about his own lifestyle was that he was basically a sexual harasser. He liked to pinch his secretaries and touch them, and he liked to uh, make dirty jokes just to embarrass them in public and uh, before, you know, he was, he was a guy who liked to give them. But even though people who hated him and wanted to take him down, they didn't use that against him because it would not stick. In the 50s, sexual harassment was not a big sin. It was a little sin. And the way that he got away with it is he had a wife to which he was faithful. In the 60s, in the 50s and 60s, in the 50s there, the, the big sin was adultery. You could do little sins, but adultery, having sex outside of marriage, before you get married, after you get married with somebody else, that was adultery. That was a big sin. And he didn't commit the big sin, so therefore, he survived. But we divide the world in liberals and conservatives, right? And we say, well, the liberals, you know, and they, the conservatives have traditional values. They love God and, and they serve the country, so therefore they are good people. Or maybe we say, no, the, the liberals are good people. Well, why are the liberals good people? And we say, well, I am a liberal. I am a good person. I am just a good person. And I am tolerant. I am tolerant on everybody. And not only that, but I am I'm also, I have a social consciousness. I care for the poor. I care for, for creation. I can, no, so every, we, 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 and we say everybody is good, right, from your camp. And if you are in one camp, you say the other people are the bad ones. You see, even religious people, you know, religious people, we end up with, with saying, you know what, we, we sacrifice a lot. And that's what the Pharisees said. We know sometimes we just throw them but, under the bus. But just think about them. They were sacrificing. They were fasting. They were praying. They, they say, you know, we tithe. We go to the temple. We do good things. We fulfill the law. We follow God. But the problem with them and with us is that we feel that God owes us. We feel that God owes us. And sometimes our relationship with God is like that. It's like a contract. It's like a deal. We make a deal. I will be baptized. I will make a profession of faith. I will go to church. I will serve in ministry. I will go and change diapers in the nursery. But you, God, have to bless me. And if you don't, that's a problem. If a more conservative person happens to go into trouble, the, the answer would be, what's happening, God? Why are you allowing this to happen in my life? 
And if a more secular person that maybe has no belief in God says, you know, I always was a moral good person. This is unfair. Life is unfair to me. Why is this happening to me? Because I sacrificed and the universe, whatever, the laws in the universe, they owe me. If you do good, you get good. But God doesn't owe us anything. We all deserve God's punishment and wrath. You see, the catechism talks about good deeds. And the catechism basically says there are two kinds of good deeds. Good deeds done by people without faith. And good deeds done out of true faith. And it's basically on what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, God prepared good deeds for us who have been called according to his purpose. And only those are good deeds that are done out of pure faith and for God's glory. Any other good deeds are not good deeds. Do you know what God calls our good deeds that are not out of true faith and for his glory? Dirty rags. And you might say, well, I'm serving humanity. I'm serving the good, the common good. Dirty rags. They are not even good deeds. And even if they are good deeds, out of true faith, like we all hope to do our good deeds, those are not salvific. They don't earn our salvation. We do good deeds because we respond to his grace in our hearts. So the Pharisees come to the party and they say, how can it be that you eat and drink and you contaminate yourself and you, you contaminate everybody else by eating and drinking with these sinners? And it is not the healthy, says Jesus, who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. So basically he says to the Pharisees, I have not come to call you. If you are righteous, there's nothing I can offer to you. But sinners to repentance. I have come to call the sick and the sinners to repentance. What the Pharisees believed is that when you eat with somebody, you are contaminated not only because you break the Mosaic laws, right? Which were, if you think about it, pretty good. They said basically don't contaminate. But they thought that you become spiritually impure, morally corrupted. And Jesus says, I am the doctor in the house. Like this, I can clean you. I can give you a new heart, everything. So the question for us this morning is, are you called? Do you know that you were called? Are you a Christian who has that call clear on your heart? We are all called to follow Jesus. And that's why we are followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. There's nobody else that we follow, right? And is Jesus number one for you? You know, there's, there's a verse in which it says, Jesus says, if you want to follow me and uh, your eye is leading into sin, just gouge it out. We say, what? Then he says, yeah, yeah. If you want to truly follow me, if I am the one who made you and who saved you, you do what I say, right? And we say, yes. If you are convinced that Jesus is number one, 
And he says, if your hand leads you into sin, chop it off. So the answer for us is not, well, is that true? No, it's how high? Is it here? Here? Where, where do you want me to chop it off? What if Jesus will say, you know, from now on, every Christian should spend three hours a day in the prayer room. Or, you know, five hours a week in the nursery. That would be, you know. And we will say, yes, Lord. Yes, I follow you. I lost control of my life. I, I'm not dictating what's happening. You are dictating. And if you say, you love your neighbor as yourself, we say, yes, because I love you, I can love my neighbor. So do you love the sick? Do you think that you are righteous? And, and we say, no. Especially reformed people say, no, I am along with the sick. I am the sinner. I am the, the tax collectors. I am Levi too. And that's what we are called this morning to do. Love them. Embrace them. If you say, yes, I feel called. I am called. Then I will say, go and keep on loving the sick. Keep on making those banquets. Invitationals. And oh, by the way, I was praying for a neighbor. And I said, God, he is kind of a secular person. Uh, I said, can you just give me an opportunity? And yesterday, I was, I was driving my car right there by the house. He pulled back and hit my car in the back. So he made a big dent in my bumper. And I had a golf uh, flyer on the, on, the, on the dashboard. And I said, you know, uh, have you heard of this? You know, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll look at it. <laughs> he said, it doesn't matter if he pays for my bumper or not. But I, I said, well, Lord, if this is your way of creating an opportunity, I'll take it. <laughs> You know, but you never know. You never know what it cost you. Matthew paid a lot to have those friends meet Jesus. But you never know what God is calling you. But at least he will say to you, love me and love your neighbor as yourself. Let us pray. Father, we give you thanks that uh, we are called to love the sick, that you loved us as tax collectors and sinners. You came to show us how much you care for us and you ask us to follow you. So this morning we give and leave everything and follow you. We are called by you. You are the number one in our lives. And teach us how to live that way every day. Teach us how to love our neighbors and be your followers and disciples. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand and receive God's greeting. As you leave from this place, if you need somebody to pray with you or if you want to pray for us, you may go in the prayer room, and after the service, there will be some other people uh, praying with you there. Otherwise, if you, as you go from here, may you know that the grace of God the Father, the love of Christ Jesus, and the fellowship of His Spirit goes with you wherever you go. You may go in peace. Amen.